What is up, everybody, and welcome into the All NBA Show, part of the All City Podcast Network. I'm your host, Adam Mares, and I'm joined by my esteemed colleague, Tim Legler. Legs, a couple good games to get to, and a whole lot of headlines. Today's a headline uh, filled day today. How are you doing? I'm doing great. I'm doing great. We got some got some interesting games last night for for a variety of reasons, and uh, I, I think some some players that we're going to get into that I think are starting to open some eyes, Adam, about what their potential ceiling could be because I think it's it's certainly a lot higher in some cases than we all thought. Well, I'm excited to ask you about that very thing, specifically Jalen Williams, who goes off last night for the Oklahoma City Thunder in the fourth quarter, has a career high. Uh, I want to get into him and how high you think his ceiling is. I'm curious what the chat thinks as well. We're going to talk about the Thunder on a a bit of a winning streak here. We're also going to talk about the Cavs winning games without Donovan Mitchell, Mobley, and Garland. Who would have guessed that? And then there's some headlines. Aaron Gordon gets bit by a dog, which is a wild one. Uh, We're going to talk about Mikael Bridges keeping his consecutive game streak alive, but at what cost? And then Mark Cuban sells the team in a very weird deal. We'll get to all of that. But first, we are presented by DraftKings Fantasy Sports. Check out what DraftKings has to offer this season with code All-NBA. Because life's more fun when you're in on the action. DraftKings, the crown is yours. If you have a gambling problem, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Agent eligibility restrictions apply. Void were prohibited. See DraftKings.com for details. We start with the games last night. And I want to start with the Oklahoma City Thunder, who uh, continue to impress. They remain second in the Western Conference, and they pick up a win at home last night over the Knicks, 129-120. to 120. As I mentioned, Jalen Williams uh, and Shea Gilgis-Alexander both go for 36 points. Chet Helbroom goes for 22 points and five rebounds. And Jalen Williams drops 17 points in the fourth quarter legs. The Thunder just look comfortable doing what they do every single night. Had a big win against Minnesota. Then they get the Knicks, who are another tough team, and they just make it look easy with how they execute. What stood out to you about this game? Well, this was a really interesting game because Oklahoma City had a great start. You know, great first quarter clean. I mean, they couldn't have played much better than they did, built a double-digit lead. And then it was sort of kept the Knicks at arm's length most of the game until the Knicks made their run in the third quarter and got this thing actually tied and then you go to the fourth quarter, Shea Gilgis-Alexander sitting on the bench to get his rest at the start of the quarter, and that's where the Thunder get their separation. And it's really done through Jalen Williams and, and showing you a level of offensive uh, firepower and versatility during that stretch that really makes you scratch your head sometimes about this guy and say, well, are we looking at a potential star in this league? Like, is that where he's right. headed? And, you know, because he, he gets after defensive plays hard. I love his demeanor. I love his energy, uh, positivity on the court, uh, long arms so he can guard anybody. But what you didn't know necessarily was, you know, is he going to have this kind of mid-range game and handle? Like, you could initiate yeah. offense with him and take Gil just Alexander's on the bench. Because, you know, Chad Holmgren, we, we raved about on this show, and we're going to do that again some more if way he played last night. But, you know, he, he's not necessarily ready to be – Option one A if, if Shea Gilgis Alexander's right. on the bench. So you need that you need that other guy that could do that. And Jalen Williams is showing me more and more every night that he is that. And he he basically during a short burst in the first half of the fourth quarter, you know, it's two two step back threes, a three point play on a on an isolation drive, uh, and then shoots a, a ridiculously difficult runner off the glass again off an ISO driving down yep. the right slot. He, get, he gives them, you know, 11 points on four shots in a period of time when the Knicks had all the momentum and come all the way back. And it looked like, you know, the Knicks, as they typically do, are going to make you earn it. Uh, Jalen Williams just took it from him. And I just was so impressed with, with the Thunder overall, but particularly the way that their top three guys played in this game. And it starts to – you start to now put them in the category of a Minnesota which is not just a great start. This is a legitimate contender. Is Oklahoma City starting to convince you that they're in that in that conversation as well? They are for me. I, this is, to me, a legitimate second-round team in the Western Conference oh, playoffs. Okay. I think that, and I think that's how I'm starting to separate the way I view all these teams between contender or not. And I'm looking at it more like, can I see this team envisioning winning a first-round series against somebody? Obviously, matchups are always going to play a part in who you right. get at that time. but they're starting to convince me that they are because of the of the way that their top three guys play together, um, and they they just have great chemistry on this team, and they become for me top five most fun teams to watch, and they didn't disappoint me last night. 
I, I agree. First of all, I agree about the top five most fun to watch. I always enjoy when I watch their games in large part because they, as you mentioned, one, they play together. They seem to enjoy, you talked about the joyfulness Jalen Williams plays with. I think that's important because that team in general just has this sort of like camaraderie and, and excitement to be playing. They're young. They don't almost don't know better. They seem excited every single night to be out on the court. So they're definitely there for me. I'm not, I'm not there with them though yet to say that I think they are more than, um, you know, a, a very good story so far. They remind me a lot of Sacramento last year. And that is to say, like, that's not a knock. That sounds like it's an insult. But to me, it's like this team is doing great. They're 30 games into the season and they're still the number two seed in the Western Conference. But I'm not ready to say that I pencil them in as this like second round team or, or, or that they're meaningfully better than the teams that are a five, six, you know, seven right now in the West. But that being said, they do have a huge stretch coming up. They have 19 games between now and the end of January, which is a lot. It's a very condensed schedule. There's five back-to-backs in that span, and there's 12 road games to just seven home games. So to me, this is the, the moment, the stretch of the season, and they're kind of already started it, but this is the stretch where I think we're going to find out just how good they are. Are they actually continuing to beat your Minnesotas and your Knicks consistently and, and to manage you know, road and home and all those different things? That'll be the one that I think separates it. I suspect they'll drop a little bit in the standings. But to get back to this game, you know, you're right that they give a big punch in the first, and they just look like the game was going to be a laugher. They were going to dominate it. The Knicks fight back, but to your point, this is why Jalen Williams is so important. When you have a Shea who's out there just always when he's on the court, he's scoring, and Chet who's doing his thing, you have to buy the minutes and you have to have somebody who's not just a good player, but can have a different identity for you on the court in those minutes when somebody's out. And that's Jalen Williams. He fits great around Shea. But when Shea went to the bench in the fourth, Jalen Williams was like, all right, it's my team now. For the next five minutes, it's my team. And dominated that stretch. And that's why he was so impressive. It reminded me, I know it's crazy because it's an Oklahoma City comp. It reminded me of OKC James Harden, who... There were moments when it was like, yeah, it's his team for the next handful of minutes. That's what Jalen Williams looked like last night, a whole style unto his own and making tough shots all over the all over the court. Yeah, that's the thing that was surprising me. Because, look, the Knicks, the Knicks are a team that defensively, they're, they're going to try to grind you. They, they will continue to play hard. It's one of the things about the Knicks I do respect a lot. You're not, yep. They're not going to mail it in. You're not going to watch the Knicks almost any night and think that they were just out there kind of mailing in the effort. They just didn't have it tonight. They're just not built that way. A lot of that is Brunson's leadership, I believe, because he is always ready to play. But yep. in general, they're going they're going to get into you and they're going to they're going to make you earn it. The confidence with which Jalen Williams operated and it's it wasn't just that stretch in the fourth quarter, which but that was the most decisive stretch. He started the game that way. He came out, he was the guy early in the first 4 or 5 minutes of the game. Every time he caught the ball, he was trying to attack it's blowing my mind how effortless he is He is making isolation basketball look. And I just didn't think he was on that level at this point. And he's up to scoring average from 14 to 18 here year one to year two. And he's doing it on 52-42-87 splits. So, I mean, he is just absolutely operating at a level of efficiency that you need your number two to operate at and, and can be a number one if that guy's over there, you know, getting a cup of Gatorade. You, you want to be able to take Shea off the court? Know that you can still put the ball in the hands of a guy who's going to win the matchup in front of him. And that's what Jalen Williams has been doing repeatedly. And certainly, maybe at, at no point this year did he look better or more comfortable as a right. primary scorer than he did last night. Last night, yeah. he was he looked like a star scorer in this league, to your point. Um, and, and that's got to be a tremendous confidence builder for their team because these guys are so young. Just to, so to see them take these kind of steps this early – and then, you know, to get the complimentary play out of Chet Holmgren as your next guy who chips in with 22 and gives you the typical, you know, ton of rim protection and deterrence in there and and uh, just making smart plays all over the place. Uh, man, I'm just kind of looking at this team. To my point about the can they be a second-round team, like I'm looking at who potentially, if they can stay in the top four in the Western Conference, which I think they have a legitimate yeah. shot to do that. You you know, maybe you get a Sacramento, you get a Dallas, right. Yep. you get right, – Maybe, you know, hey, maybe it's a Phoenix or something. Like, who knows what's going to happen with them? The Lakers right. are kind of hovering around there right now. Houston would be in the mix for something like that. Um, and I just would like their chances a lot because of the way these three guys in particular play together. It seems effortless for them to operate offensively. There is, there is zero 
bad possessions, I feel like, when I watch the Thunder. Everything yeah. happens with a purpose. And and, and Jalen Williams' emergence is a, is a huge, huge part of why I believe that now. And, and one thing I want to say about last night's game, because that was a great game, and you were talking about the scoring. He was doing it with – it wasn't just straight-line drives. He's dancing on guys. He's, right, he's kind right. of – Locking back and forth, waiting for a guy to, you know, shift his hips and then attacking. And it was, I mean, it was a saucy, you know, uh, 17 oh, yeah. fourth quarter points because he was really going. But it also, a lot of that came against Taj Gibson. And it highlights an issue right now that the Knicks have. And I think they have to solve, you know, in the and with Mitchell Robinson going out. Because I really like Isaiah Hartenstein. I'm a big fan of, of his. Yeah. And he was even a plus four in 37 minutes, despite his stat sheet doesn't look great. Four points, nine rebounds, two assists, one block. But... I think he is a really good role-playing center, whereas he's going to make guys like Jalen Brunson's life a little bit easier. But in the minutes he wasn't on the court, they got murdered because Taj Gibson, I mean, that guy should not be counted on to be giving you 10 minutes against a young team. That's the biggest gap, Jalen Williams versus Taj Gibson. And when he had 17 points in the fourth, a lot of it was because he was going at him. So to me, that's one note I have on the Knicks is they – I like Isaiah Hartenstein. I actually think it's as good of a replacement for Mitchell Robinson as anybody could have hoped for. But behind him now, there's a giant gap, and I don't know where who's going to fill it. Yeah, no, that's a fair point. And, you know, look, I think one other thing that hurt them last night, Brunson had decent stats. That wasn't a very good Jalen Brunson game. He just it just yeah. he wasn't as good as he typically is. He, he was uh, turning the ball over. He was fouling. Um, you know, he had the good numbers. 24 and 7 is like a good night for Jalen Brunson. But – it's not what you come to expect. And when you get these, these elite level guard, guard on guard matchups, you know, you think it's going to bring out the best best in him. I said that about him going into the Bucks game against Lillard and delivered on that. Uh, didn't really necessarily play his best. But again, this team hung around, stayed in it. The Thunder just had a little bit too much. And I'm just I'm looking at this Western Conference and I feel like there are far more questions than there are teams that have kind of shown you who they are. And maybe even with a little bit more upside to come because they've got young players that, you know, can really change over the course of a couple of months. Yeah. It's amazing how young players can, can, can grow at an exponential rate this early in their careers, particularly when they're in a winning environment. So there are a lot of questions about a lot of teams, and I don't feel like there are a lot of questions about the Thunder. I'm very comfortable with who they are. Now, look, they might get involved and try to, you know, looking at all these picks that they have and looking at this, these young three and saying, hey, you know what? We, we arrived a little quicker than we thought. Let's go ahead and make a move and make a splash and try to get somebody here to add to this and make a legitimate run You know, at it right now. We'll see if, if that happens. But even if they don't, I'm just very comfortable with who they are. I know what to expect. The consistency level is there. And I think they've got enough talent to compete with pretty much anybody in the Western Conference. Um, I, I even think they'd give Denver a good series. I don't know that they would beat Denver. They would play them tough. I believe that. Um, so they're just, it's obviously just nothing but high praise for them right now. 20 and nine sitting here in the Western Conference. A, a really good win last night because I thought they played well pretty much the entire game and then yeah. withstood the one run by the Knicks. And when things got dicey, they answered it immediately by, by shutting the door on them and not giving them any real life late in that game. Yep. Um, you hinted at our next topic, which is going to be with as good as they are, they have all these this draft capital. They could make a trade where they don't really lose anything and they gain something. Is it the time for them to push it in? We're going to get to that on the other side. Uh, is there anything you want to say to wrap up, though, real quick with this game? Is well, not so much. Not so much the, the game. I mean, I think I think it's we pretty much covered what we feel about both of these teams. And I, I think the Knicks are. You know, the Knicks are what they are. They're, they're a solid team. I think they're on that next tier down from the top teams in the Eastern Conference. Yeah. They showed that again last night. That's a very tough place to go win a game. And they put themselves in position where you had basically a quarter to play. Um, and it's anybody's game. And then they, But they just were not able to guard that team because of what Jalen Williams has done to his handle and his, and his offensive confidence. And that was the difference in the game. If you didn't watch it, I would go – I'd suggest, you know, trying to go see the highlights at least of that game or watch yeah. – on some sort of condensed version of it and watch the fourth quarter and, and Jalen Williams and what we're talking about and the way that he played at the start of that, because he didn't look like a guy that's, you know, a role playing defender that could score a little bit. He looked like a Shea Gilgis Alexander for about five, six minutes when they, when Shea was over there resting. So um, it's just kind of opened my eyes to what the potential for, for this team is. And, and more, more though, I think 
his potential and his ceiling. It's it's continuing yeah. to evolve right in front of my eyes and, and thinking that this guy might be potentially an all-star in this league. And I didn't think that was going to be the case when he came out. I love the way he plays, man. He is definitely one of my favorites to watch. All right, let's take a break. On the other side, though, it, it is almost trade season, and there have been some rumors about Lowry Marketing maybe being a potential fit next to uh, Shea Gilgis-Alexander, Chet Holmgren. That would make for a very interesting one. So we'll get to that more on the other side. But first, we are presented today, as always, by DraftKings. Uh, and right now, you guys, bowl season is right around the corner. The NFL has some of the big games, the biggest games of the year coming up, and then the playoffs. And, of course, the NBA is hitting that midpoint of the season. All of those sports are great to gamble on, and you can hop on DraftKings right now, and new customers can score 150 instantly in bonus bets for just betting $5. It's an instant dub just for you, just for signing up. And when you sign up, uh, use that promo code ALLNBA. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use code ALLNBA. New customers get that 150 instantly in bonus bets for betting just $5 on basketball. Only on DraftKings Sportsbook with code ALLNBA. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY, that's 467-369. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly. On behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort in Kansas, 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction, void in Ontario, and bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.com slash basketball for eligibility and deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. I like this question in the in the chat here, Legs, from Michael Talley, who says, question for Adam and Tim, how often... Does the add a piece now with the young core really work? And then he gives a couple examples about the Nuggets who were rumored to be, you know, in the Kyrie and Jimmy Butler sweepstakes very early in the Murray Jokic era. So I'm question. I, I am curious if you think of just in your experience as a player. Uh, as a player, is it with a young team like this who hasn't really gone through the the playoffs at all with the experience? Can it? Do you have to just say, hey, the first year you go through? Through that Shea and Chet and J Dub, you just have to go out there to get the experience, and then you make the move. Just philosophically speaking, does that make sense, or do you feel like, hey man, they're good enough now, talent wise? Just put your team together now and start going through those uh, those trials. I just don't believe in blanket statements. I hate them. It's case by case <laughs> basis. Like so, so in yeah, this yeah. in this situation, what we're talking about specifically is the Oklahoma City Thunder with this young core at the top, right? Adding a guy potentially, if they were to target marketing and try to get him, who's 26 years old. He's also a young piece, but he's got right. some, he's got a little bit more experience under his belt, and he has emerged into an all-star caliber talent, and he fits a spot that they could use. They need more, you know, more front court, more length, another guy that can shoot the basketball and score. Um, so to me, that's and he's not a guy that's a rhythm disruptor. He's not pounding right. it. He's not a guy that's you know he's not an ISO heavy player where you're going to come down, and give him the ball, and guys standing around. So it's it's totally case by case. You can certainly pull up bad examples where you added the wrong guy. And I so that's why for trades, I always have to go case by case. And I can't just say should the Thunder try to go get Larry Marketing? You know the obvious follow up to that is well, what are they going to give up? Right. That's right. always going to be the question before you can evaluate a trade. In this case, just looking at the player, you say this is a guy that is also young, who is also a guy that I think is is kind of learning how to win in this league. So he fits in with what the MO of what the way they operate now and the way that he plays would fit in with the guys that they currently have. And it would just give them a, another high powered offensive player um, to go with this group now. Having said all of that, I'm not 100% sure yet that I would want to make that move just because of how much I like what they already have, right? The chemistry that they have, and let's see what this could be because I think that you recalibrate if you go through a playoff. Let's say they did win a series without them this year. Like I just said, maybe they could. What if they did that? They get to the second round. You realize now you are really in the mix here, like a lot sooner. It may change the way you think about what you are willing to right. give up to go get somebody. So that, there's not nothing wrong with maybe saying, hey, let's just see what we have actually with, with this current group. Um, 
But I'm just saying you can't just automatically say that, oh, you go out and add a guy like marketing, man, you're really blowing up the chemistry. No, you're not You're not doing that at all. I think he would fit in very, very well with this group. It would just come down to what it would cost you. And that's when you make the determination of whether you pull the string on that. It's hard enough to fit three stars together, but OKC does it seamlessly. And to your point, I think the go. reason they do it, the reason they do it is because those guys all have sort of a trust and belief in each other. Shea is a phenomenal player. And I think a lot of people with his talent might look and say, hey, man, everybody kind of play off of me. This is what I do. And we just Shea seems perfectly content letting J-Dub cook whenever J-Dub has the matchup or whatever. He gets, you know, he plays off of him. Chet is, one of the things I love about this guy is he doesn't ever demand the ball in a bad way. You know, he fits in. He just, he doesn't see, he finds shots because he knows how to get open. He never seems to be like, blowing up a play to post up or you know picking and popping you know some guys some guys will set a screen and they'll pop so that the screen didn't work but it gets them open because it's like i'm calling my own number on this play he never does that he just plays so when you have three guys that are all committed to that it does make me think you can absorb a fourth guy and by the way lowry markinen is like chet in that way he's very aggressive looking for his shot but not at the expense of others he just reads the court and finds his spots so i like it you you mentioned um you know, you always have to look at, at, at the trade. I'm going to use, and this comes from Jared Cook off of Sports Illustrated. I'm taking his trade, so you can check out his article on Sports Illustrated. But here's a proposal. I think producer Emma has it has it on hand. So you have to give up some matching salaries. And to do that here, you're talking about Bertans. And then I really like Cason Wallace. I thought he looks like a good player. But when you're talking about marketing, that's, hey, you got to get rid of something. Uh, and then you have Jang. And then you're looking at all the first round draft picks. I mean, OKC, they 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 still have a war chest of even first rounders after this. But you're talking about a handful of first rounders uh, to secure Markkinen here. And you would end up in this trade with Taylor Horton Tucker and Lowry Markkinen. Now, it should be noted that Jake Fisher of Sports Illustrated has said that this uh, Lowry Markkinen is now leaning towards staying with Utah, Utah leaning towards keeping him. But when you look at this, uh, Legs, if this is the cost, a whole bunch of draft picks and then some players who are sort of on the fringes of the rotation. Does this seem like the type of deal that is, hey, you're depleting your war chest a little bit. I mean, actually quite a bit, but that's a final product. You're talking about four guys that you can go to war with over the next four or five seasons. You know, does that look like something that 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 intrigues you? By the way, I like Taylor Horton Tucker too. You're adding another guy that can play. It's another rotational player, right? That's so right. first for, for and, and I agree with you. Like to me, and, and I might not be the best guy to ask about this because I think I have a little bit of a different feeling about first round picks and the way that we're the way that they're talked yeah. about sometimes, right? That they're this surefire commodity that's right. gonna lead to a great player. It is a crapshoot after the first handful of picks. And even sometimes those guys in recent memory, we got a long list of guys that were taken in the top seven that did not pan out yep. at all. So it, the, and if, you've got, if you've got great front office personnel and talent evaluators, you make fewer mistakes than most teams. And, and you know, if, you, if you've got trust in them, then those picks are very valuable. But in general, you're talking about things that have no tangible benefit to you in terms of a guy being in your rotation and helping you because you don't know what the pick is. You don't know what the player is that's available is and you don't know what player you actually select so for me to get a surefire commodity in a guy that is averaging 24 points and almost nine rebounds right now um and again does it efficiently he is not a ball stopping player he's a pretty tough rebounder for a guy his size he gets the good ones in traffic he's got length he can spot up and shoot the ball off of playmakers like shea or or giddy or jalen williams he can knock down catch and shoot three. So he's, he's a really good fit. And you're giving up things that are completely uncertain of what those picks are going to end up being. And you stockpile them for a reason. You know, may, maybe some people think, well, oh, wow, five first round picks. Is that, is Laurie Marketing enough for five first round picks? Like for that, you know, you should get like a guy that's like first or second team all league. Well, those guys aren't really given up too easily wherever they are. Yeah. A lot of those guys yeah. are resigning because they're getting these super max deals. Look at last summer. Most of the guys that set, that were the big stories of free agency or two years ago had re-signed with their own teams. These guys aren't leaving as much because the rules have made it so beneficial to do it. So, you know, this is the kind of player, really this tier player is the kind of guy that is available when you see right. a team like Utah taking a different approach and where they're going to go now. 
and he's you know highly productive he's the right age so he's got a lot of great years ahead of him and you're giving up things that don't really hold a lot of value to you right now because you've got a team that's pretty damn good with a superstar as your best player uh so that it's very attractive i can see why the thunder might might do that if that were actually something that was available to them and i and i think at the end of the day they'd probably be very happy with the result well here's here's why i love lowry marketing specifically for this team the thunder i think are to your point earlier i do think that they can match up with a lot of the teams you mentioned the lakers just went into their building and what the lakers were calling a must win and beat them you know over the weekend and denver is another team that beat them once by i think 30 points and then lost they actually blew an eight point lead a, a couple weeks ago they play on friday night that'll be a very good game to watch this weekend oklahoma city and denver but Jokic is too big for chet holmgren let's be let's be real here i think that oklahoma city looks at that and says we need another big so that we could put chet off ball and make him a weak side rim protector because that's his most valuable spot but to do that that means you need a second big, but it can't be a, a big that clogs the pain on offense. You need somebody that can do that job on defense, but still be out of the way on offense. And that's Lowry marketing. Is he a great rim protecting big? No, but he's tall and long and you could put him on a player like a Jokic, like an Embiid, like an Anthony Davis, and then use Chet as this heat seeking shot blocking missile, you know, uh, uh, off ball. So to me, that's why Lowry marketing actually fits one. He's not a ball hog. He's not going to come in and disrupt and demand you change everything to him. He's going to find his shots within the style they already play. And defensively, he allows Chet Holmgren to be what he is best at, which is a weak side defensive stopper. And to me, that's why I like this move. And yes, it's early in the in the rebuild era for, for Oklahoma City, but sitting on those picks and waiting too long, I just don't, don't think it makes sense. I think if you have a player that fits exactly what you need, Go for it and spend the next few years just finding the pieces on the margins. Hey, and to your point, this is really important. When you see a young team start to start to you know find themselves a little bit, as Oklahoma City is right now, right, and, and it's built around this great, great player that you have uh, in in Shea Gilgis Alexander. When you start to get momentum in that direction, it's amazing if you don't pull the trigger on something like this and you don't you know finally cash in some of these picks to get a guy of this count who by the way in his last 87 games which is a pretty large sample size this dude's averaging 25 points a game on 50 percent shooting basically 40 from the three and 85 from the line and he's getting you you know eight nine boards i mean so these are all-star numbers that he's putting up over a more than a full season's work so if you don't do it and something happens along the way to stall your momentum, whatever it may be, a guy gets hurt, okay? Um, who knows? You just you go through a right. stretch where some guys lose confidence that are your rotational players, right? And now schedule, you hit a tough patch in the schedule, and now all of a sudden you kind of come back to earth. It's amazing sometimes when that happens, what this can happen to some of the psyche of your players and how you view this right now, it's full steam ahead, man. The ascension yeah. has begun. Yeah. And this team is looking like at themselves and saying, why not us right now? And they have this swagger about them and, and a great chemistry as we've talked about. So if you don't take advantage of that right now while the ascension is just beginning, you might make a mistake because at any point something could happen to, to shake this up. And it changes kind of the way everybody views the situation right now, man everybody believes that they can make a legitimate you know run or threat to these top teams in the west right now this year certainly over the next couple um maybe they think they can even maybe get to a finals with a guy like shea gilgis alexander over the next two to three years that's why it's so critical to pounce on it when you get an opportunity to get a guy of this caliber uh, and you're just cashing in picks you're not breaking up your core that's yeah. that's that's this weird situation they're in because of all of these picks that they've accumulated and making the right decisions on some of these guys like Holmgren and Jalen Williams. I, I like the comp that Victor put in the chat here. He says, feels like OK, OKC could use Lowry and Chet in a similar way to how Boston uses Porzingis and Horford. I, I actually think it's true. I think that there would be some similarities between those two teams. If, if that trade were to happen, the difference would be uh, – that I think that J-Dub and Shea are almost more like 
uh, Derek White style players than they are like Jason Tatum or someone who's more of a isolation one on one. These guys are going at the rim. They're putting pressure and collapsing a defense. So it could even lead to more kickout opportunities and different things. So I love it. I think it makes a lot of sense. And then you, I, I will say one other thing. When we talk about should you wait, should you go in, all in now? I think you could make an argument, legs, that the Thunder have already been too patient with Josh Giddy. Because I think when you watch how Josh Giddy has played this year, and then obviously the controversy, nobody saw that one coming. But when you watch how he played this year, I don't think his role is on this team in the future. And I think every, I, I think if you hold on to him even throughout this entire year, you're going to look at Giddy and say the team is moving on from what he does. And I wonder if th this is an example of sometimes it feels like be patient, don't go too fast. But when you're too patient, sometimes you get overlap you know, in your roster, and then you get a player like Giddy who maybe has lost a little bit of shine. Do you, do you kind of agree with that on Giddy? I, I feel like he's the most natural piece to try to move on from, but his value might be lower right now than it was over the summer. It definitely is lower right now. Like, who knows how much all of his off-court issues and legal issues, right, are, are weighing on him. He definitely doesn't look yeah. like the same player uh, that nope. he did, like, did a year ago. Uh, who knows, though, once all of this is settled – uh, if Josh Giddy has that resurgence in finding his game again, because he doesn't look very relaxed. He doesn't look like a guy right now that's very sure of himself at all. He's lost confidence. There's no question about it because um, I really love his playmaking ability and his versatility. I think he's a guy that is a, just a, a ball mover and he, he, you know, makes, he precipitates guys running the floor and cutting harder because he rewards you. He's, he's not out there as a guy trying to get numbers. Everything he does is purposeful with, with his passing so I think you can blend him into any core group of guys, and Josh Giddey's going to make the ball move, and he's going to find the right people. So I do think he's got a lot of value still, but there's no doubt it's taken a hit. So if that were a piece that you had to part with, now would be the time to do that. Um, and who knows, the team that makes the move, if they were to acquire Giddy, they might find themselves a year from now with a really, really good player again. Because I don't think we've yeah. heard the last of Josh Giddy or seen the last of Josh Giddy on that level. He's too young to think that, that, that that's going to be it for him. I just think he's got a lot going on in his personal life, and, and we don't know how that's all going to play out yet. But I think there could be something more for him down the, down the line. Um, and and so that's, that might be a risk a team is willing to take uh, to get a guy like Josh Giddy. But to your point, right now, there's no question when you watch them, that's the guy you're looking at and saying, okay, they could probably survive uh, without Josh Giddy and move forward, particularly if they acquire somebody like a marketing in the process. Yeah. And if you go to the other side real quick, just to wrap this up, Utah, why would they do this deal? Well, they already have a ton of picks. I don't know if marketing, you know, there's rumors they want to hold on to him. He's going into a contract year. You sign an extension. Then you have your cornerstone piece in marketing for the next few years. And then you have all those draft picks that Utah already has that they've acquired in the Donovan Mitchell trade, and the Rudy Gobert trade. I don't know if I trust that. I love marketing. But I think it's hard to build around one guy when you don't have something else in the pipeline. So I think it would be hard for Utah to build around marketing without making yeah. a big win now trade. So if they were to trade marketing, they would get back more picks. And to be honest with you, Legs, they already have a ton of picks. So you were just talking about draft picks can become too, you know, you, you overvalue them. Does it make sense at all for you if you're Utah to say, hey, we're going to end up with like four first rounders every year for the next five years. We're not going to use them. But at least that tells us, all right, we can trade a lot of these in the next coming years to build our roster. Or would you rather have marketing as a tentpole and try to build from there? Well, here's the thing. And Larry marketing, I think what he's shown you is that if he's your best player, you're probably a lottery bound yeah. team or a team that's yep. fighting, you know, on the brink of the play in, like in that 10 spot, like something like, right. But if he is your third best player, you've got a hell of a team. If Larry yeah. Markin is your third best player, and I think that's how Oklahoma City would be evaluating it, because um, I think they're looking at Jalen Williams and saying, like, this guy is going to be our second best player because of yeah. the versatility that he has with the ball in his hands. So if Markin is like your third guy and Chet Holmgren is your fourth guy, I, I mean, you know, can you do much better than that as your top four? Um, with a guy in Shaji Gilgis Alexander who wins every matchup in front, there's no defensive uh, scheme or personnel that's a win against Shea Gilgis-Alexander. He has an answer for anything in front of him. Very, you know, there aren't a lot of teams that have that guy that does it every night like he does. So if you put Market into this situation, now he's got incredible value. As your best player, if that's yeah. Utah and you're looking at him that way, and that's, I just, that's just about what you are with the rate that you're winning at right now. 
So and I, I think, think that's hard legs. Real, real quick, I think it's I think it's so hard legs when a player is the second best to be the first one into a rebuild. Just because you establish a culture around a player when you're starting out. And if you establish that culture and then bring in someone who's the top dog, I just think that's a really tough dynamic. I, I've seen it too many times with teams where they have a guy who's not good enough and you trade for a guy who is, and it's there's a little bit of fireworks there. I mean, we saw it with Jimmy Butler, for example, and Carl Anthony Towns. It's Carl Anthony Towns' team. You trade for Jimmy Butler. Now it's Jimmy Butler's team, but the culture's off. So that's why I think it's a little weird for Utah to go all in around marketing, knowing yeah. that very soon they're going to have to bring in somebody who overtakes him. It, it, you know, And I just think that is a tough spot to be in. So I, I would say, say – one last quick point on this. If there's one, if there's if there's a you know market in the league that could make this decision and go all in on the future draft picks, it, it would be Utah. The, those people are still going to come to the games. They're still going to support the team. They're still going to they're still going to be rabid fans about it, right? So some some fan bases are a little bit more patient. It's tougher to do that in certain cities, man. It's particularly Northeast Corridor cities. Uh, that's yeah. a very difficult thing to pull off with the media and fan scrutiny. I think in Salt Lake City, you could make that decision. And say, you know what, we're everything's going to be down the road. We're kicking this down the road a little bit. We're going to acquire as many top picks as we can and just go in a completely different direction. And I think they would have the support right now um, to do that with their fan base, which is, I think, from a front office standpoint, doesn't make you as nervous to go in that direction. I think they have a great owner. I think they have a great coach. They have a great GM. You can sell a fan base on the future when you have those things in order, and I think they have all of them. So we'll see what happens. It sounds like marketing is leaning towards, and, and the Jazz are leaning towards keeping him there, but we'll see what happens uh, as trade talks pick up here over the next six weeks or so. All right, let's take a quick break. Uh, on the other side, though, there was another game we want to get to very, very briefly. Talk about the Cavs beating the Mavs despite not having any of their star players, and also just what it looks like for them with the one big lineup. We'll get to all of that as well as the top headlines from around the association on the other side. But first, the bustling holiday season is coming to an end. And we all know January 1st rolls around. Everybody makes resolutions. Everybody starts talking about what is it we're trying to be in the new year. Well, one thing you can be is a little bit healthier and maybe a little bit more on budget with Factor Meal Kit. Factor is America's number one ready-to-eat meal delivery service, and they can help you eat well for breakfast, lunch, and dinner with chef-prepared, dietitian approved ready-to-eat meals straight delivered to your door. And these are things that you just pop in the microwave. They're ready in two minutes. Every single week, they come up with a new menu. You go to their website. You see 35-plus chef-crafted meals uh, that support whatever lifestyle you're trying to live, whether it's calorie-smart, vegan, vegetarian, protein-plus, keto, and more. You go on the website, you select for whatever meals you want that week, and they send them straight to your door. It's a great way to stay on budget. It's a great way to stay on diet. And we all know as we're starting the new year, you want help in those departments. So check them out, Factor Meal Kit. You can go to uh, factormeals.com slash allmba50 and use pro promo code allmba50 to get 50% off. That's code allmba50 at factormeals.com slash allmba50. All right, Legs, let's get into this Cavs-Mavs game very, very briefly. To set the stage, we just raved about Luka Doncic and the Dallas Mavericks on Tuesday. Raved about him, Legs. And then they come out and they lose to a, t uh, a Cavs team that has won five of the last six games. They're 6-4 and four since losing Mobley. But not only were they without Mobley, they've been without Garland, who broke his jaw uh, a couple weeks back. And then they're out, they've been missing Donovan Mitchell, who's been out with a sickness for the last few games. But despite missing all of those guys, they're starting to win some games. Their losses, twice to Boston, Orlando, and New Orleans, that's all good teams. And their wins have been against Miami, Houston, Dallas, some pretty good ones. What did you see in this game that allowed such a shorthanded team to come back on Dallas after being down 20 in the first quarter? It's a brutal loss, and it's inexcusable for the Dallas Mavericks. And I'm not trying to disrespect the Cavaliers in any way, but come on. You mentioned the guys that weren't playing for them. That's one thing. You're also playing in Dallas, so you're on the road. There's there's number two. And then number three, the Mavs got out to a 20-point lead in the first half. You're up 20 against a team that's shorthanded. Inexcusable. Yep. And it came down to a couple of things, really. It, it, one, they couldn't guard Karis LeVert. So Karis LeVert yeah. took over the game. He completely took over the game, and he did whatever he wanted to do um, on that end of the floor. And then offensively, yeah, they're still up. I believe they're up nine, ten, or around five minutes to go, and they just had a number of bad possessions. Uh, so I thought some four shots. I thought Luca took a couple bad ones. If there is such a thing for a guy on that level, I don't like when there's a lot of possessions in a game where no one else touches the ball when Luca's playing like that. I, and that's what he was trying to like end it. 
on a couple of those possessions um, and stop that momentum all by himself. And I just think when you do that, you're you're making it easier for the team trying to come back. They had some wide open threes that were missed. You know, Curry had a Seth Curry had yeah, a very good game. A lot. He missed, he missed a wide open naked three uh, at a time. You know, it's so funny when a team cuts a lead from like you know 12, 14, and it gets down to about six or four. It is amazing how just one bucket, particularly if it's a three at yeah. the right time, just stops yeah. it like a dance. You just stop yeah. that flow, and it's amazing how the momentum shifts. So he missed one uh, wide open. Green uh, missed one wide open. Tim Hardaway Jr. missed one wide open. So they missed naked looks on several possessions. And then they had some plays where Luca was driving more interested in drawing contact than he was trying to finish. And he wasn't getting calls. And he lost his he lost his composure and demeanor um, that we've <laughs> seen him do a number of times with the officials. Yeah. And it all snowballed into this really bad loss, man. You're up 20 at home against the team without the three best players. And you can't lose that game. And it's that simple. And yet they did. And I think, listen, they don't have Kyrie Irving. So, you know, maybe Kyrie plays. Luca sits because some of this run that the Cavs made was Luca was on the bench at the beginning of the fourth quarter. So th- that's part of it. If you got Kyrie, maybe that doesn't happen. I get that. Yeah. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. You got a team down 20 with missing that many guys at home. You've got to, and you want to be considered, you know, legitimate. You got to, you got to win that game. I feel like Karis Levert, he just has these games every now and then. He's not my favorite player, but six of 11 from three. Some of the shots were like, all right, you tip your hat to him. But to your point, there were controllable things. You mentioned Luka being out to start it. It started there with Luka out, but he came in. And I think they went five minutes or something without scoring, even with him on the court. And this is my thing about teams that play this style. Luka does not have many games like this at all. I mean, we just raved about him for a whole show about how phenomenal he was on Tuesday night. And he was phenomenal in the first quarter. He looked even better. I thought he was going for 60 points. But when he goes cold and when the team goes cold, you almost live exclusively by whether or not he can make the the right plays and if guys are going to knock down shots off of him. And they just – it was a collective funk that they fell into where they lost confidence, they lost rhythm, he lost rhythm, and it was just a really ugly fourth quarter. But the thing to me that is my biggest note in this game, Lively has been very good this year, but he seems to get bullied by really big players and really good offensive rebounders. Jared Allen had nine offensive rebounds in this game. Lively couldn't do anything with him. The Mavs as a whole couldn't do anything with him, and Jared Allen's a good player. But you can't give up nine offensive rebounds to one guy. And me, that's what I thought stood out in this game. 18 offensive rebounds to just seven for Dallas. Um, That was a killer. Plus 20 overall on the glass, 18 offensive rebounds, as you said. That's just – that's at the NBA level, the pro level, that is absolute domination. I mean, that is guys just getting thrown around. And that's what Cleveland did to them. And it was a a big factor in the game. I agree with you about Lively. It's not necessarily his strength. It's to play against guys like that. Uh, who are single-minded focus on what they're doing offensively because that's really all that Jared Allen was trying to do was go gobble glass and give them second possessions. He did a great job of it, uh, 23 rebounds on the night, 24 points. Uh, that's just dominating a front line. And the Mavs, that's, that's always going to be a question mark for them is are they big enough up front when they need to be? Um, you know, there are some nights they're so good offensively and what Derrick Jones has brought, what Lively has brought, those bouncy legs – it's something that they needed. They've got enough shooting. And if Luca's shooting well in particular with, with his uh, deep ball, step threes and stuff, they look so good offensively that you're not so worried about their size problem. That wasn't the case. When this game started to get tight and slip away, it became noticeable, um, particularly when Dallas was having empty trips. So, yeah, yeah. look, it leaves you where I think you kind of always end up on the Dallas Mavericks, right? They've got one of the best players in the league. And they're good enough on any night to win any game against anybody. And particularly when there's some sort of a statement to be made, you know, Luca typically embraces all that, man. He wants all that smoke. He wants to make that his show, and he usually delivers. So you, you always kind of have to treat them serious because of him. But then they have these games where they have this inconsistency, and it makes you think that, like, okay, just, just kind of who they are. They're not right. a team – that you can envision playing in the NBA Finals, despite the right. fact that they've got Luka Doncic. And a game like this kind of reminds you of that. You, you know, look, it, I will say this. 20-point leads are erased in the NBA on a regular basis. It's not as big a deal anymore. Um, Especially it's the context. Quarter. Yeah, it's just not. It's the context around it and the context being you're missing your starting backcourt. You're missing a young 
you know, two-way player in the front court in Mobley, and you get up 20, that's not a typical blown 20-point lead. That's a different type of animal uh, that Dallas coughed up last night, and it's 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 got to be unsettling for them. They got to be really kicking themselves today to let that game go. I think they're going to be vulnerable to that type of team in the playoffs, as good as they are. That center spot, and just can you can you rebound? And you're talking about, um, you know, the Clippers have Zubats who rebounds on the offensive glass really well. Minnesota obviously is is phenomenal at this. Denver is really good at this. So I do think there's some teams out there in the bonus, Western Conference. The bonus with the Kings, the bonus, you know, yep, another guy yep. that's kind of in that Anthony Davis, you know. So yep. yeah. I mean, there are definitely there are definitely guys out there that, that are that are coming to get you this way when they're ready to go, and that is definitely an area that Dallas is a little bit, and it's been we've been saying this about them now for a few years. Speaking of the Dallas Mavericks, a very curious thing has happened over the last week. It's been building up, I think, over the last month or so. You know, the news has been out, but that is that Mark Cuban has sold his stake in the Mavs. He retains a twenty-seven percent stake and retains the title of alternate governor. He said it in an interview uh, with ESPN, nothing really changed except for my bank account, which, again, I find to be a very, very strange situation. We know Mark Cuban has been one of the most front-facing owners in the NBA. Very vocal. He's always there with the team. He wants to be a part of it. You sell a stake now, but retain an unofficial title. This is not like legal, legally speaking, he does this, this, and this. But at the moment, it sounds like they got a lot more money. Um, you know, with the purchase of the, uh, what is it? Um, Sheldon, what's it, what's his name? Adelson, the Adelson family, yep. but there's no contractual language in the purchase agreement regarding his authority over basketball operations. It ultimately falls on the new ownership to have final say, but at the moment they're saying, Hey, he's going to still be doing those types of things. Do you find it as weird as I do this weird yeah. unofficial uh, role that he takes? Yeah, the role is strange. I mean, I just think the fact that that news broke out of nowhere, and I, you know, there was no indication yep. coming from anywhere. You know, we got we got a lot of people in this industry that are really good at getting early information, right, and inside information right. and stuff like yep. that is about to break. There was no news there. That shocked me that day when I read that. Does it look like you know anybody out there uh, loves being an owner more than Mark Cuban? And and you know, uh, right. maybe 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 Steve Ballmer, maybe be like the only guy who. Yeah. Sitting on the baseline, like you know, having the time of his life every time they, you know, the Clippers make a six-zero run. But um, so that caught me off guard in general, just because of how um, how much Mark Cuban as an owner has become a face, you know, that you associate with NBA games because of his location. The number of times he's on camera in the course of the games, um, he's always got uh, he's always media friendly. Ton to say to the media, so. No, that caught me off guard in general. But the role, yes, you're right. To, to It's kind of vague exactly what this is going to mean and how much of an imprint he's still going to have on the franchise. It sounds like a disaster. I shouldn't say a disaster, but it sounds like a distraction. For a team that is like the Mavericks could go either way. If you said the three-year arc of the Dallas Mavericks, I could foresee them losing Luka Doncic to a trade demand within the next three years. I could see them winning an NBA championship within the next three years. So a team that has that much of a wide sort of spread – to have this sort of shadow government that they've agreed upon is very strange, but we'll see what happens. But here's the other thing I think about with this legs. The new owners have come into the NBA over the last 10 years, and they have a lot of money. Mark Cuban, as far as billionaires go, he was poor. You know, he he didn't have the, I think he's worth like $4 million or something on paper, maybe a little bit more now. But you're going up against a guy like Balmer who has $70 million, or 70 billion, sorry, billion dollars. So when he says, hey, we need to compete by winning on the margins with arenas and, and all of these training staff and analytics, and then on top of that, we're going into the luxury tax for five straight years, there are some owners in the NBA now rich enough to say we can do that every year. Mark Cuban was not one of those. Right. And I do look at this and I go, okay, Dallas needed the resources to be able to do this, as all teams do. $5 million isn't what it used to be. I know that's crazy, but at the NBA level, it actually matters. Um, so I kind of wonder, I, I don't know. I think some of this move has to do with that, that Mark Cuban saw, hey, I'm going to be one of the poorest owners in the NBA, and now the Mavs are going to have a war chest of money to spend. Well, I'll tell you this, $5 billion to me would be exactly what it used to be <laughs> if I could get my hands on it. I, I'll tell you that right now. Oh, my goodness. So that's an interesting story, man. I'm, I'm curious to see. Uh, how that how that evolves in Dallas. 
Yeah. Uh, another story last night, the Brooklyn Nets. Shameful. Last oh night, they have, they have lost six of their last eight games, including last night. You would oh think that a team 500 wanting to make the playoffs. They, uh, they're going to be competitive. It's at home legs. You know, holiday season, a lot of people come back in town. You buy tickets. It's Christmas gift. We're going to the game on the 27th. We're going to go as a family. They had a, a sellout crowd, one of the biggest they've ever had. And Mikel Bridges starts the game. Cam Thomas starts the game. Rose Neal starts the game. But they didn't finish it. They played one quarter. They all went to the bench and were done. This was load management to a whole new level. Not even holding those guys out. You play them for one quarter, and then you sit them. It was 32-31 to 31 at the end of the, uh, of the first quarter. The Bucks were up one point. And then they just gave up on the game. Played all of their bench guys. Played Went deep into their bench. Legs. This one, to me, for some reason, almost feels worse than if they would have just ruled those guys out with a hamstring injury. Playing them for a quarter and then punting? It's completely worse. It's filthy. It's disgusting. It's completely disrespectful to the fans. And we got to stop doing this to the fans. It's, it's, you're right from the standpoint of this is much worse than guys just not playing. Because if guys aren't playing, you might get wind of that that afternoon. And you might have a chance to go put your tickets on one of those ticket yeah. exchanges and tell them, right? Because like, right. what the hell are they going to go see this for? You got not only a holiday game, okay? You got Giannis Antetokounmpo coming into town. You got the Milwaukee Bucks on the right. biggest draws yep. in the league coming into your building. So it's, it's it's the double whammy. I guarantee you, when that schedule came out and people that are interested in that team saw, oh, it's, it's over Christmas break. You know, maybe you've got some younger kids and so they can go to a later game and get home later because they don't have school this week because they're off from school. Right. It's a perfect yep. thing to try to take the family to. It's outrageously expensive to do an NBA game in general as a family. But you know what? Hey, this is going to be a great – Great little stocking stuffer that they're going to find. We're all going to do this as a family. And oh, Giannis on top of it and the Bucks, Man, let's go. It's going to be a great night. And then you, you think these guys are playing because you don't catch any other wind. Otherwise, you go down and you watch the first game. It's a pretty competitive quarter. You're excited. You're into it. And then these guys don't play again. It's the most disrespectful thing you could possibly do to your fan base. And 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 then to dismiss it afterwards, look, Jock Bone had some comments where he's saying like, hey, I don't want to hear it talk about exhibition game or anything like that because, you know, I, I have so much respect for everybody on this roster yeah. and your next play could be your last. And all that. I Listen, I was a role player in the NBA. I hear you. Yeah. And I know when I got an opportunity to play more minutes, if, if like a star player wasn't playing and that night instead of playing 16 minutes, I got to play 25, 30. I had belief in myself that I was going to go out there and play great, play well. And I was an NBA player and everybody in the NBA is legit. Right. But that's not what we're talking about here. This is this is nope. absolutely pulling the rug out nope. for, under from every single person in that building by doing that. I think there should be fines. Honestly, I think there should be heavy fines levied for doing something like this. And I guess there won't be because technically they they averted a load management. That's really all they were doing. No, don't you remember, like, coming into the year? Don't you remember we talked about that load management rule was treating a symptom, not the disease. It was Correct. okay. Well, people were not teams are not taking the regular season seriously, and fans are starting to catch on to it. So let's make this rule that Trump puts in place. But you didn't get the root cause. So what you get, and imagine being a fan in the stands. You see a competitive game, and you're sitting there in the second quarter, going, "Okay, when are the starters coming back in? What's I mean, going on?" I mean, absolutely, I'm telling you, man, I would be absolutely out of my mind if I was a parent. And I took my family to that game and, I, and I'm sitting there and you think maybe they're just coming out to, for their normal rest for four or five minutes. And then you realize the whole second quarter goes by, they don't play. And now they go, you know, here's the other thing. I'm going to put one more thing on this. It, is this even smart? You're trying to preserve guys. Is it even smart uh, to do this to your players when they know going in, this is what you're going to do? <laughs> I got news for you, man. Mentally, you're not preparing yourself the way you normally would if that's what you're going to go do. That maybe leads to an injury because you're not yeah, locked in. Be. You're yeah, not locked in to the extent that you were because every players are so routine and regimented psychologically and physically getting themselves ready. And if you're a starter, you're an all-star like Mikael Bridges, you're going into this game and you're going to play your normal 35 and you're up for the Giannis battle and all of that stuff. And, and you know going into this, man, just so you know, we're only going to play the first quarter. We're going to sit here for the rest of the night. It does something different to your mind right. psychologically, man. Right. It takes a little edge off of you. Is that, is that a good thing to do to your players? Is that smart to do? So I just think the whole thing is filthy. 
There's no other word for it. It is filthy. And I think the league needs to look long and hard at this because, again, with all of this stuff, the people that pay the price are the fans. And there's too much of this that gets pushed in the lap of the fans. Just take it and shut up. This is what we're going to do and how we're going to operate. And it's, it just it really enrages me because I know what people are sacrificing to try to go to these games. And, and man, this was set up to be a, a, a memory of a lifetime potentially with Giannis in there, a holiday game, yep. and you get a competitive yep. game, and then we're just, you know what, we're just going to go ahead and basically concede. And I know Jacques Vaughn would say they weren't conceding. That's exactly what they were doing. They gave up 144 points, okay? There's a reason they gave up 144 <laughs> points because yeah. they took guys off the floor, or they, and they didn't even play others in some cases. So as you could tell, I'm pretty hot about this. And I didn't even know about this. I didn't pay attention to that game at all last night. Yeah. Um, I was watching those other two, and you're the one that clued me in on this before the show. And I immediately just struck a nerve. And as I read more about it and what exactly was going on here, I just got enraged by the whole situation. By the way, Brooklyn is in the ninth seed, and they're free-falling. They're 3-7 and seven in their last 10 games. They're, they've lost 6 of 8. And like, they're not a team that – it makes you think, are you trying to win? Are you trying to be in the playoffs? Because you were in the playoff hunt right now. Or is that what you're hey, trying hey, to do? Hey, just take a game. Hey, I don't mean to cut you off. I just thought of one more thing. It's really ticking me off about this. So, listen, whether you like it or not, and I don't have a problem with it personally, but – Professional sports now in the NBA, like they, they're their partners with these bet, yep. betting services. Right? They're yeah. partners with you. Yeah. They are. And so now you you you're making a decision to put money down on a game that you know, and it's one thing if you're not gonna play Like I said, you get enough notification on that to know guys right. aren't playing. If you want to not bet on a game because you don't like the way that looks, or if, you know, go the other way because now certain guys aren't playing, that's 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 one thing. When you're when you are tricked basically tricked into believing that a certain team is healthy and they're going all in to compete to win a game. And it turns out that's not the case for the last three quarters, right? Think about what that's doing. to And look, again, I wouldn't even be bringing this up if it wasn't for the fact that this league is now partnered with, yep. with these yep. betting services. They are, it's a big part. It's, a, it's advertised all over the place. So they're obviously supportive of it and they're condoning it. Put money down on these games, bet on these games, prop bets, you name it. Let's do it. And then, oh, by the way, we're only going to play these guys for a quarter of the game. And now let's see how that affects the money that people put down. So that, again, is a reason from a sponsorship standpoint, from a partnership standpoint, a network standpoint, a fan standpoint. It's just something that can't be done. It can't happen. And I think the league needs to look long and hard at this. There's somebody that bought tickets for his family to go to the game, threw a little money down on Mikael Bridges last night before before watching it, and then got to that game and is never watching the NBA again. He had to walk out of that one just furious. Yeah. Uh, last last story here, a bizarre one. Aaron Gordon, over Christmas, was bit by a dog. <laughs> got scars to his face, or, or yeah. I shouldn't say scars, was bit, allegedly has uh, wounds on his face and his right hand, his shooting hand, and received 27 stitches. He is not with the team. He is out indefinitely. Aaron Gordon is a vital piece of that team. That is a crazy way to get injured. Reminds you yeah. of Kelly Oubre. You know, with Kelly Oubre earlier this year gets hit by a car, which you just don't see coming. Aaron Gordon bit by a dog, but legs. Denver is in the midst. They just began what I call the easiest 10-game part of their schedule. Eight of the 10 are going to be at home, a lot of those against losing teams. This is an important part for Denver to create separation and maybe catch Minnesota in the West, and they might have to go through the stretch without Aaron Gordon. You know, if he's out, they say indefinitely, if he's out two weeks, you know, if he's out these 10 games, how big of a danger is that for, for Denver? Yeah, there's no telling. I mean, there's no telling how long. That's first of all, it's a terrible story. I, I, you know, you, you feel bad for everyone involved, and and Aaron Gordon especially. Um, terrible story. But yeah, that's is a is a it's a massive loss. It's a massive loss. For he's a perfect fit for them. Um, he gives them so much of their grit and toughness, and he he's a way he finds a way to be productive all the time, even if he's got getting his number called, man. So this it's a big loss for them. By the way. As a side note to that, that's a strange way, certainly, to get injured. And you hear about an NBA player missing a game. I, I can just tell you, the strangest injury I ever had in my career was I was making tuna fish, okay, early in my career, making some tuna fish for lunch, and I used a can opener, right, and I opened the, 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 the lid, and then, I, and then I went to squeeze it, right, to squeeze some of the oil out of it, and the, and the lid sliced right through my thumb. I've got a scar on my thumb to this day. Oh man! From where this, the lid of a tuna fish can sliced my thumb open, 
on my left, on my left thumb, fortunately my non-shooting hand. Um, but I just thought, you know, this is kind of falls into the category of strange way to miss time. Certainly. Tuna fish, man, that one might, I mean, a dog bite, you know, getting hit by a car. Those ones make headlines out because of tuna fish sandwich. That's, that's a tough way yeah. to go. Leg. That's, yeah, out with tuna. that's what it said actually in the actual report out. Tuna. Let people, people thought I was deep sea fishing or something and fell over. No, no, no. It was in my kitchen. Uh, yeah. That's terrible, man. When I was young, I, I broke both of my arms one time at the same time in about sixth grade, jumping yeah. off of our friends back. You, everybody did this, I think, back in the day out of the blacktop, jumping off of your friend's back to dunk it when you're, you know, you're short, you're only in sixth grade, uh, and, and took a bad spill and broke both arms. So that's my worst uh, sports injury. Sports. My, mine was a broken collarbone swinging a baseball bat at a clothesline and it ricocheted back and hit me in the oh. collarbone. Yeah. <laughs> when I, when I wasn't, I wasn't, you know, I was, I, I didn't, I don't think I missed any, uh, any time. It was like over the summer. I was like, I, not involved wow. in any sports. This time, but uh, anyway, hopefully Aaron Gordon gets, gets better. And I'm a huge dog lover. So I always have sympathy for the dog in this situation too. So who knows what triggered that? So I hope he's, hope the dog's okay. I don't know the, the full details of this story, but Hopefully everybody recovers and hopefully Aaron Gordon's back for the court soon. Hopefully so. Guys, tomorrow we have some good games on tonight. Memphis at Denver. I think they'll probably provide some conversation. You got Mavs and Timberwolves. Mavs need to bounce back. Timberwolves continue to get this tough part of their schedule where they go up against some good teams. So we will be back tomorrow breaking those down as well as anything else that happens in the association tonight. Thanks so much for tuning in for us, guys. Don't forget to hit that like button on the way out. We'll see you tomorrow. Like the mayor.